0: Happy New Year's. As many of you all know, well know, this beautiful, historic, and worldwide discipleship of knowing and following Jesus as guided and led and focused by the Christian year, that discipleship with Jesus has just begun afresh. We're in the new year. This is the first week of the new year. An Advent since the 5th century has been a time that through the scriptures, through the first coming of Christ, the people of God, we, Jesus' followers, have our attention focused on a preparation, on a readiness, on an expectation and a longing. It starts strangely with focusing our attention on Jesus' second coming as a way. To move us into a readiness and a preparation of heart. To enter afresh his first coming. To remember it so as to enter into it afresh. The deep realities and all the benefits of God being with us. Atoning for the sins of the whole world. Reconciling us to him. Filling us with his dear presence and intimacy. In the person and the power of the spirit. So happy New Year's. And as we turn our attention, the season of Pentecost ended and the discipleship of Advent begins with Jesus turning our attention to his second coming. What will it be like? How are we to be ready? What will happen then? These were the questions his disciples asked him in this sermon that uh, our lesson is a part of. They said, Lord, could you tell us about the signs of the end of the age? Could you tell us what the end would look like? You know, I used to measure my Christian life by sort of, for the lack of a better term, mystical or sort of sensate experiences with God. Spending time in the Word, praying, praying, uh, opening myself to the Lord, and there is something that's better experienced than explained. There's a sense of God's presence and His unction and His anointing and how He can flow into us and through us, saturate us with His presence, with His love. those used to be the ways I would check my pulse. Or I would go to this sort of motif. How am I doing in my uh, repentance saying no to sin and saying yes to Jesus? How am I doing in my sort of uh, fulfilling my role as a husband and as a brother or as a pastor or as a friend or a father? But you know, at this point, season of my life, and I'm old enough to have lots of seasons of life. I know I look 30 years old, but I'm actually twice that, and then some. That's depressing. But what I have come to really assess my relationship with Jesus from are Ogilvies and Jason's, are homeless folks, are folks who don't seem to have any orientation or consideration of how ordered and mature and focused my life is after a lifetime so that I could just be fully present to Jesus and fully present, and here's the kicker, to those on my schedule. I was a priest in Columbia, South Carolina, and also a professor, and Ogilvy always seemed to come at this time of the year, right where you are stressed out, huge demands, really important things I needed to give myself to with God and others. And Ogilvy would come wanting something, at least just my face and some time. And I've found that if my heart is really attuned It's kind of a pop quiz from Jesus. If I'm really in walking with him and seeing things from his perspective, I tend to take time to just be with Ogilvy. Or here in Wilmore, it's Jason, which you'll hear more about soon. And I find that Jesus is marvelously present in the least of these our scripture today is a bit of an apocalyptic and prophetic swirl. It's a part of Jesus, one of his last sermons, one of his longest sermons. I've already told you it's in response to his second coming, a lot of it. And in this sort of four foretelling and forthtelling swirl this sort of apocalyptic and prophetic and eschatological uh, views of what's coming Jesus begins to lay out some of it certainly is about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and some of the tri- tribulations and betrayals and and persecution that the His disciples are going to suffer, but some of it clearly is about the end of the age where He comes like the lightning as the King of kings and the Lord of lords with the trumpet sounding, and it's from that second coming vision that this snapshot that is our scripture today comes. It's the last part of, in some ways, this last at least semi-public sermon. If we have eyes to see it, I think this is what it is for our discipleship. Two weeks ago, Loretta and I were given a marvelous gift. Loretta's my wife, and it's uh, we had a, a sort of four or five days. No, it's more like three or four days at a kind of retreat center, kind of bed and breakfast. What was marvelous about it? It was in eastern Kentucky, in this and this sort of I guess they would have called it a holler but a sort of a hollow that was just like its own little kingdom in there and a lot of notable people have gone to this so it's well known all over the country and all kinds of echelons of people uh, it would have had to be a gift for for Loretta and I to get to go to this it was kind of pricey and we were seated at the table It's one of these where you eat with all the guests there's all kind of cabins and whatnot and as we sat with this particular, at this table, with, with, uh, across the way from a couple, they both said, well, we're chemical engineers. And I just kind of swallowed hard. Now, I should not have said this. I should have just thought this probably. But I just it out, whatever makes you a chemical engineer, I am the opposite of. Whatever it is in a person that leads them to be a chemical engineer, I got none of that. Zero. They looked a little horrified and like, who is this guy? And I felt the need to explain. So I said, the only F I've ever made in my entire life, I'm not a great academic, and be careful some of you all in here, probably the ones I need to speak to aren't even in here this morning. They are trying to do this week what could have been done all semester. I know that turf. Be careful if you're one of those. You may end up a professor. A professor. I said, the only class I failed, the only D's I've ever made were in chemistry. This shocked me. Quickly, he said, well, that was the case with me as well. I picked up my lower jaw. And he went on to say, he went to some, you know, elite school somewhere. I don't remember what it was. And he said, my first semester, I don't know whether he said he flunked out, but it was terrible for him in his chemistry class. And he said, somehow, I don't know if he's taking the class over or at the end of the class, he said, I fell in with some students who knew, in those days, I feel sure, because he was about my age, it was not on the Internet, but the professors in most of the chemistry courses made their test that they gave the last semester or semesters before the one you're in as sort of study guides and he said I fell in with those people and I started sh- making it sort of the lens that I used to prepare myself for the exam I used the old study questions the old exam questions excuse me and he said I ended up getting a PhD in chemical engineering and I have 13 patents and sort of however chemists get patents that I, you know but this is the one that caught my attention he said and three of them are, are cures for cancer if we have eyes to see our great God incarnate in his son face and hands is saying to the disciples there and saying to us today here's what's going to be on the exam This is what's coming. This is what you're going to face. Now that wouldn't hurt any of you all in here if you had your professors that just handed you the exam for next week. It really actually used to scare me because that means they're so freaking hard it doesn't even matter if you know what's on the exam. But that defeats my illustration. Jesus is saying in this, I want you to hear, this is not a parable. The only thing parabolic in this is just the little statement, as a shepherd would divide sheep and goats. This is an apocalyptic view. This is a snapshot of what it's going to look at look like at the consummation of history. You and I will stand in this moment. We can make only feeble sense of it, but we can make sense and plain sense of it and prepare ourselves. That's part of the Advent discipleship for that day. I believe we're all familiar with that scripture. I'm not going to take up a lot of time walking through it, but let me just remind you again of what's going on. Here is the eschatological end of the age, the day of the Lord when it arrives according to god the son the word made flesh the son of man in all his glory will come and set on his throne and then all human kind that's ever lived whoever will live before that time comes who are alive at the time that it comes. All will be before the throne of God. We have in Revelation 20 a picture of this with the king on the throne and and details about the dead, the seas giving up their dead and the graves giving up their dead and the book of life being opened and the book of judgment being opened. But in this picture, Jesus says it in these terms. And He will divide all of human history All human beings, excuse me, not history, and their history, into two categories. And on the right, he will say, Enter into, come, enter into the kingdom that was prepared for you before the foundations of the earth, O blessed ones. And then he's going to say to another group, Depart from me, you cursed. And go into the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now one of the telling things, the exam question, if you will, that helps us to prepare is what comes after this scene of judgment. Jesus says, when he puts the sheep on his right, he says, Enter into this kingdom, you blessed ones because I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, I was estranged and you welcomed me. I was naked, so vulnerable, so powerless, so unable to cover myself and you came and gave me covering. I was diseased, I was ill and in prison, and you visited me. And those who are entering into eternal life with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are saying, Lord, we don't remember seeing you in those situations. And Jesus said, as you did it to the least of these, you've done it also to me. I don't need to go through the other side too much details, but when he sets the others apart for exactly not doing that, they're astonished. Lord, when when did we ever do that to you? And he says, What you did not do to the least of these, you've not done to me. You know, when I read that, I see a scene. It was at night, I was exhausted. It was one of those times I'd pushed myself ten times uh, through the red zone to the end of myself and kept pushing. It was after the Christmas Eve service, no less, at the end of Advent. And I was walking in my car, and who walked up? Ogilvy, In quite the surly mood. Very entitled to my attention and to the services of the church. I'm not proud to tell you this, but I was screaming at the top of my lungs at Ogilvy. I've not done that since I was fighting in high school. If I had seen that it was Jesus, you think I would have been screaming at the top of my lungs? I would have treated Ogilvy very different that night. And Jesus is saying, what you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. I had a high school uh, teacher. I was a professional in being torpid. If you don't know that word, go look it up. But just, let's just say living in a funk and a malaise will get you in the right direction. And when it came to class, I was, I was almost never there beyond presence just physical presence. I did have to make a certain grade to be able to uh, compete in athletics, and I lived for that, but we had a professor. He was a biology professor. He did kind of look like a frog. I hate to say it, but he would uh, he would just be rattling on, and much like what I'm doing right now, and you know, I'm. I don't even know what's being said but when he would make this statement I was jolted into attention I grabbed, scurried, found my notebook got my pen or whatever I could find, sometimes I was having to borrow a pen when he said this but he would make an odd statement so just get ready for it he would say, boys and girls put a frog's eye by it it's going to be there so let me translate that for you all who uh, had trouble uh, hearing that he's saying Boys and girls, put a frog's eye. We called him Frog Walden was his nickname. By what I just said, it's going to be on the exam. People of God this morning, put a frog's eye by what I just gave you. That's what Jesus says is going to be on the exam. This scripture is so filled with bewilderment, and disturbances, and exegetical, and theological issues. Tons of soteriological, and if you hadn't gotten to that one yet, matters of salvation uh, issues. That It's needless to say, there's been a lot of scholarship and a lot of difference of opinion on many aspects of what Jesus is saying with this scripture. But I want to focus on the one that is pretty much agreed upon across the board that's going on here, whether it's from the left, the right, above, or under. When it comes to scholarship on this, on this passage, all tend to be in agreement, Jesus is saying, along with all the prophets in the Old Testament and all the rest of the New Testament, Jesus is saying all of history is coming to an encounter with Christ the King. Every human being that lives will bow their knee and encounter the Lord Jesus Christ, not as the Savior emptying Himself and becoming a servant and seeking to save us, not condemning the world, to, but uh, through, through Him the world might be saved, but as the mighty King, the Lord of Lords, the Judge of all humankind. Now, it ought to give us some comfort if you're still awake that the one who's going to judge us is the one who gave his life for us. No one can love us more, but it's a judgment nonetheless. And I want you to know this won't be a discussion time. We had plenty of opportunity, and you have it today, to prepare ourselves for this moment. To ready ourselves by throwing wide open our trust in Christ alone is our salvation. By grace alone we can't earn it. By faith only, by the power and presence and sanctification of the Spirit only can we be made a new creature in Christ and become like Him. We've got plenty of time to decide what we're going to do with that right now. But in that day, He'll decide. He's not going to debrief our life with us and ask us what we think what we think we ought to make on the test. Put a frog's eye by it. That's the way the exam's going to be. But for the rest of the time, which is not all that long, I want to kind of drill down, if you'll hang with me, on this standard of measurement that Jesus gives us in this apocalyptic moment when he says, now here's here's an example of what this last judgment is going to look like. Here's the standard of measurement that's going to be used for you. Here's the rubric. What you've done to the least of these, you have done for me. Let's let uh, St. Chrysostom Give us a little idea about this as we begin to look at it. He points out what we don't hear from Jesus. This is a fifth century preacher, by the way. What we do not hear from Jesus was I was sick and you healed me. And that's that's the standard of evaluation. Or I was in prison and you came and liberated me. Frederick Dale Bruner makes further commentary on uh, St. C, as I call him. Big miracles aren't happening here. Little ministries are. And yet, it is precisely in these little ministries that the miracles of big mystery is happening. Eternal salvation occurs. Whether we call these economic ministries, social ministries, political ministries, whatever we call them. These ministries are within the reach of every one of us. Every person has access to Christ through needy people. Many women, if we have eyes to see it, Jesus is saying, when you stand before me, and every one of us in this room Will, and do you know in the mystery of His eternal presence, He's already there. He's there right now and here right now. When we stand before Him, He's not going to say, Well, let me see the get out of hell free card. When did you go to the altar? When did you get it punched? At least not in this scripture we're not given that motif. In the last judgment, He's not going to say to us, Okay, I see that you were slain in the Spirit, that the Lord used you in a mighty demonstration of His power, signs, and wonders to do miracles and bring deliverance. None of these things are bad I'm talking about, but that's not what we're given in the final, the preparation for the final exam. In fact, in Matthew 7, that one's even given as someone coming and saying, well, let me in. I've done miracles in your name. I've cast out demons, and I'm for all of that stuff. I'm for all of that stuff. But Jesus says, part, I don't know. you. What we have here is Jesus in all of his glory, all of the human race before him, and he's saying, and I want you to hear this loud and clear, none of us have a prayer of doing this out of religion or kind of, willpower and being what we ought to be to all the poor and all the least of these, and that's a nightmare. We will have to receive his new creation by faith. We'll have to be filled with the Spirit. But Jesus is saying, the medium that I want your relationship to be played out with me is enfleshed. You know, since Jesus came in his first coming, that's the last part of Advent preparation. God seems to be especially into incarnation. Now it's the Gnostics' worst nightmare. It might be the American Evangelicals' worst nightmare. That all it seems that Jesus has in His mind as the playing field for our meeting Him and being met by Him always has a human face and a human hand involved. That seems to be what he is judging us on that last day in context of. Jesus went to pains, all four Gospels, to say that he indwells, we get this one, this one's easy for us, in his church, in his people. And he says this, don't miss this, Asbury Seminarians, call to ministry. If they listen to you, they listen to me. If they accept you, they accept me. If they get me, they get the Father. Can, can you hear that co Christ in us and others relating to us, they are relating to him. Now, it starts to make me a little nervous when in Matthew 18 he says, and oh, by the way, anyone who accepts a little child that he stood in the middle of them, Maybe a four-year-old child. If you accept this child in my name, you get me. If you get me, you get the Father. Ooh. That's, a di- that's kind of a different place to do a living encounter and discipleship with Jesus. And then here it is in the last day, Jesus says, meet me in Ogilvy, meet me in Jason. Meet me in every person where they're hungry and thirsty, where they're estranged from God and others and themselves, and especially meet those that are just that's their life situation in all these areas. Show up and be present to meet Jesus in people's illness. I don't hear many sermons along those lines. You want to have a revival? show up where people are sick and see if you meet Jesus Charles Williams probably captured this concept and articulated it the best that I know of as goofy as he is and if you learn about Charles Williams you'll notice that he is a bit goofy but it's under the it's under the sort of umbrella of coherence God co each member of the Trinity. God co hum- humanity and the Godness of God in Christ. And He co-inheres Jesus' prayer for our oneness in us. And He co evidently, in the least of these. Well, let me illustrate and I'm done. I want to do this with great reverence. I tremble that I am going to mishandle this illustration and would you pray for me because the dignity and uh, the sanctity really of Jesus in the least of these could be violated even as I'm preaching the sermon but I have a young man who's was in my youth group years ago I've known him for 30 years that lives here in Wilmore now he's actually homeless I'm going to call his name because I want you as the body of Christ to take him in he's estranged, he's hungry, he's thirsty, he's imprisoned. He is schizophrenic and these days he's just not in reality almost ever, at least for the last two years. At times with meds and whatnot, but he just can't hold it together. Jason comes to visit me many times a week. Our little congregation has just taken him on as a part of our church. But when Jason comes, he comes to the door and he greets me. And he throws his arms around me and me around him and says, Hey, brother, I love you. If you knew Jason, you would know what an amazing moment that is. And in that moment, I sensed the Jesus in me laying a hand on that young man that so needs to be brought into the land of the living, so needs to know that the face and love of God is his. It is. And when he puts his arms around me and says, I love you, somehow in the mystery of what I'm preaching today, in the last two years, I've met the unvarnished, unconditional, life-restoring, life-transforming presence and power of Jesus through someone who's not in their right mind hugging and being present to me. Because somehow in the midst of it, I sensed Jesus. I hope you can hear this saying, it doesn't matter where you are doesn't matter where you are. My new creation is all about a love that sees us all as least of these and sees us all as the greatest of these. It just loves that way. Just loves where it's needed. Men and women of Asbury, even in this pressured time, study what's on the exam next week. Study as accurate as you can. But this Advent season, put a frog's eye by this. As you prepare yourself for the second Advent and then soon turn yourself to enter afresh into the first Advent that makes standing before Him with joy and expectancy because of the new birth, because of forgiveness, because of the infilling of the Spirit, because He's made us such that we live out that love, the fruit of the Spirit, in this playing field of incarnation, you can have the best day of your life. But a frog's eye bite, it'll be there.